Hey everybody, it's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. My guest today is brilliant. He's been to 122 countries. He has master's degrees from safety schools like Caltech and MIT. He studied life at the bottom of the ocean. And it took all of that and more for him to find his way home. I'm really excited today for you to meet my friend and brilliant person, Kevin Richburg. Everybody, it's Maddie C. Thank you so much for being here. It's really wonderful to have you here. Um, so I'm in kind of a weird spot. Um, I'm recording this on a Tuesday morning, a full 24 hours after this thing should have gone live. And there's a whole bunch of different uh, reasons for that, from uh, technical issues to my mental health to uh, having a real job to having a family and all kinds of other things. But um, uh, I will say that uh, not getting this done in time felt like a failure, and I. I got a really nice note back right away as soon as I posted last night saying, hey, pod's going to be delayed today. I know in the grand scheme of things, it's really, it's fine. It's okay. But I struggle with it. I have a hard time with it. Um, one of my biggest fears is that I start, not. it's not a fear, it's true. I start things and then I don't finish them. It's a classic uh, trait of people with ADHD. And um and so one of my biggest, truest fears in, in starting this thing was that I wouldn't be able to sustain it and I wouldn't be able to keep my promises. And so this feels a little bit like a slippery slope for me. And uh, I'm not going to let that get the best of me, but I, I am going to acknowledge it and I'm going to be honest with you about it, that the last couple of weeks have been really difficult for me. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a bit of a roller coaster and there's so much of that that I don't understand myself and I'll be kind of unpacking it and, and working on it and I'll, I'll try to share what I can. But it, it stems largely from my inability right now to get access to my, my Adderall uh, or my generic equivalent thereof. And um, that's, that's causing new symptoms in my life I haven't dealt with before. Things like anger and rage, which are, which are very, very new to me. And it's, it's, a, it's a weird skill set to try to handle and learn. And it's new feelings that I've never had to sort of comprehend or understand or control. And, uh, and so that, along with just uh, the difficult nature of my job this time of year and my normally fragile mental health state, it's just been a, I'm okay. I want to I wanna clarify for anybody out there particularly worried. I've had so many friends checking in, and you're all wonderful, and I love you, and it means so much. Um, please keep doing that. Um, and I, I want to say, though, I really am okay. Um, I, I tried to explain this to my family, and I'll keep this short, but I tried to explain this to my family that one of the things that can be scary about this when somebody that you love is sharing these kinds of things with you is this is all new to you or most of it is new to you, especially when they explain it in sort of new terms in which you understand maybe the gravity or the depth of it um, and you understand the seriousness of it and how in, uh, impossible it is sometimes for, for someone who suffers from this to, to really get away from it, to, to, to save themselves from it for even a few minutes. And that can be a really terrifying thing for somebody who's never gone through it before. So if you're hearing this and you haven't been through this and you're thinking, wow, Matt sounds like he's in a really awful place, please know I'm not great. 
but when I say that I'm okay, I mean that I'm okay. I mean that I'm surviving and I'm, I am, I am well enough to get through the day. Um, and I sometimes I'm even good. Uh, I had an absolutely fabulous night on Saturday night, which I will tell you all about soon. Um, that really helped to, to boost my spirits and, and my, uh, and my outlook on life. Um, but that is why the pot is a little bit late this week. And, uh, I'm going to rally and get an essay up sometime to, uh, on Wednesday. And we're going to get this thing back on track. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate, appreciate you all being here and paying attention and being involved. Um, so before we jump into my guest today, just a quick reminder that I cannot do this work without your help. Uh, I got to have your support. Uh, this thing over at Substack, what am I making? Substack.com runs on your paid subscriptions. So if you are liking what I am doing, even when I put it up a day late and a dollar short, if you would head on over to the Substack and give us a free or a paid subscription to let us know that you're paying attention and uh, to make sure that you keep up on everything new that I do, uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, I had originally planned to do a big push for an April subscriber thing. I have, I have scrapped that because I just don't have the time and the bandwidth to put it in right now. And we're, I'm going to do that in May. And that will be great. That will be wonderful. But if you want to get a head start on that uh, and help me, help me hit those numbers that I'm going to look at in May, you, you could do that now. And you could make it even easier for us to hit our goals in May if that's something you want to do. So let's get to my guest. His name is Kevin Richberg, and he's brilliant. That's not a euphemism. It's not a different way of saying he's a pretty smart dude. It's not a way of going, wow, he's really good at one thing. No, Kev Kevin Richberg's really good at a lot of things. And it's because he's brilliant, and he understands how things work, and he's super curious, and he has what he calls an obsessive curiosity, which I just absolutely adore and, and try to foster in myself. Kevin's actually brilliant. He's earned master's degrees in chemistry and molecular biology from Caltech and MIT. And then he took that brilliance and knowledge around the world, literally. As I mentioned, he even went to the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. After a sterling career in academia, Kevin made a career and a life as a photographer and travel writer for more than a decade. He visited 122 countries, and that allowed him to see sites, people, and landscape that most of us will only ever get to dream about or see photos of. And despite all of those accomplishments, all of those achievements, those accolades, and all that mileage, Kevin still felt adrift. So eventually, he ended his travel writing career, and he built a plan to come home to the Syracuse, New York area where he grew up, to build an edible forest and a home. So in the early, of the, early fervor of the 2023 pandemic, Kevin and his partner Zach moved into what is now Slate Hill Edible Farm in Marcellus, New York. It's a 27-acre fruit orchard the biodiversity collection and experimental farm focused on adaptation to a changing climate. I can tell you from personal experience, having visited there for a couple of days last summer, that it is an idyllic spot in the rolling hills of central New York and truly a wonderful place to be. Zach and Kevin make it only more so. And while I could talk to Kevin for hours on any number of subjects, when I reached out and asked Kevin if he would talk to me for the pod, I knew that what I wanted to talk about was the idea of travel and what it does to us. 
We talked about how travel makes us better people, makes us more forgiving, makes us more open. We talked about Kevin's wonderful theory that I'm so in love with about how international travel is a surefire way to make America a better place to live and to be, and a way to make all Americans truly more well-rounded and empathetic human beings. My favorite moment of our chat is when Kevin and I both realized that we had a very similar moment with our dads in Rome. As many of you know, I lost my dad um, a little less than three years ago, and that memory of he and I in Rome is still a really cherished part of what I carry with me um, in the in the years since we've lost him. Kevin lost his dad really suddenly this year, and uh, he and I have talked about it. And we don't talk a lot about it here, but it's something that any of you who have been through grief know that it, it sort of colors every conversation and every thought. And so when we have a little moment where we connect and realize that we both had that special moment with our fathers and that that will be there forever um, was a really beautiful reminder not only of, of travel and what it can do for us as human beings, but how sharing those stories after the fact helps keep people alive. And it helps keep them with us. Kevin tips us to what he tells Europeans who ask him about how to get the true American experience. We talk about how to try to seek out a physical example in our landscape or in our cities or in our country where you might see the American ideal actually on display. We talk about chasing the dragon of exotic experiences and how much better it is to see the world when you can share it with someone and see it through their eyes instead of just your own. And perhaps most importantly, Kevin finally learned when it was time to come home. As I was putting the finishing touches on this piece, I began to realize that in some small way, I am carrying on the work of a, a legend, a, a hero of mine, a, a man from Chicago named Studs Terkel. I make no attempt to place myself in that elite league. Yet, as I record contextualize and compile these conversations, I realize that I am helping to tell many of the same kinds of stories that Studs told during his amazing, amazing career. His whole purpose in life was to run around and capture stories from everyday Americans for things about the Depression, World War II, or the simple act of going to work. It would be easy to say that Studs spent his life collecting the stories of, quote, average Americans. But if you read those stories, and as I do my work, I realize there is nothing average about any of these people or any of these stories. And in having the privilege to spend an hour with Kevin Richberg, it feels as though I am able to expose a piece of goodness and purpose into the world that most of you haven't had a chance to see. To see someone who has been around the world, decided to come home and built something that he thinks will have a lasting legacy long after he leaves this planet. He's a brilliant, brilliant person, but he's also incredibly funny. And he's building a life and a family and a legacy. And man, that is anything but average. So let's go around the world now with my friend and yours, the brilliant Kevin Richburg.
I don't sound like somebody else, like some other person. Uh, not unless you've been hiding in there since I got to know Kevin Richburg. So I don't know. I'll leave that. that. Oh my God, that would be amazing. Like, like if my head just started opening up during this. No, interview, no, no, no. Wouldn't it be sweet? I if wouldn't like, blame you for being like, I'm out. I'm done. This no, is wouldn't that I'm be going. okay? But like, wouldn't it be incredible if like, because I was, I've been having this conversation with people lately about like how many lives do we have? Right. And we're going to uh -huh. definitely talk about a couple of yours today. But, we, right. you know, like you have all like it isn't just stages of life. Like it's like sometimes a life is nine months and then you turn into a different person or a big you, there's, there's a big shift. Right. Like it's almost like mm -hmm. I almost think it would be kind of a neat concept. Like. If it were like a Twilight Zone episode where like literally like a shift ended. And like the main character was like 29 and went through something. And then like she went to bed and then basically the payoff was two dudes basically like clocked in and out, you know, like a different person <laughs> comes in and pilots and that's why shit's different. Like it's that fucking simple, you know? Uh, yeah. I, I find if I think about it for a long time, most all the people that I have ever known have stayed incredibly recalcitrant really and are exactly the same people now that they were 20 years ago with mild modifications um reinventing yourself like truly reinventing yourself that can look back and say something like 10 years ago i used to be like this and i don't do that anymore i'm not like that anymore and then 10 years before that i used to do this I can definitely say that about myself, but I, I think it's rare. I really think it's rare. I th so do you think people give themselves more credit for that than they actually achieve? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I, I, would I think assume people think, go ahead. Well, I, was, I think you're going to say what I was going to ask, which is, I, I think a bunch of it is that there are not as many people in the world who are maybe as, I'll be polite to us and say self-aware. One could also say overthinkers. Um, that that don't consider this stuff enough for good lord even at all right they don't even think about like why am i the way that i am or why do i do what i do it's just i like what i like and it's all very lizard brain i think there's a lot more of that than i sometimes want to admit because i'm a i'm a very like analytical person in terms of the way i think about myself i think that it wouldn't necessarily be a good survival mechanism to be that way which is <laughs> to say no, seriously, which is to say all the people who go through life making minor changes and being thrilled with their personality and their existence have the survival Because if you were, like you said, over analytical, and I can definitely be that way, you would be in the savannah in Africa trying to reinvent a, a way to kill a snake and be bitten by snake and dead. Right. And the yeah. other people that just were like, why did he do that? I avoid the snakes. I walk away from the snakes <laughs> to my dull, boring life. Yes. Those yeah. people survived and procreated. And and so it's not, it, it's it's generally, I tangentially related to this is something that I've always thought. I have been obsessed with acquiring knowledge. I've been obsessed with, learning new things, seeing new things. If you told me right now that you had a, a bit of information about something, I would, I would be like, you, you must give it to me. And we've all met people. And I think most people are like, no, I don't need to know that. 
No, I don't, I don't want to know how that works. Those people are happier. Oh, for sure. The I, ignorance I think, is bliss. Uh, there's, oh, I used to think that was a folly, that that was so not true. And then like, oh, wow, it's, 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 it's incredibly true. So accurate. It really is. Like, but I also, in a way, I feel like maybe it's less painful than living where, and I don't want to put us in the same category, but I'm gonna, because <laughs> it's easier. Um, but I don't, if you step down a level, if you if you kind of go, you know, in another stage or whatever, you sort of reach a point where the stuff that is great, I think it's more beautiful because you're willing to kind of see how special that is. Like if you've gone through the other side and you've sort of seen some of the darkness, that can enhance your because you can contrast. You have right, the you spectrum can... with which, yeah, yeah I understand can... that. Yeah. I agree with that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna propose a counter that actually is directly related to my life and is unfortunate, but definitely real. Especially when I was doing travel writing and I was going all over the globe and having every experience imaginable. I'm gonna switch gears and go to heroin for a second. Okay. They always say, and I don't know this for a fact, that the very first time you do heroin, the feeling is so new and so unbelievable that you chase it for the rest of your time doing um, narcotics. And there is something to be said about how your brain processes amazing experiences. And I, I believe... I know this is, has happened to me that the more I did, the harder it was to reach a level of excitement with any particular thing that I was doing, even if it was brand new to me, because the piling together of all the amazing things and including the tragedies, including things that were just dumb and stupid and, and 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 horrible all of it just it dulled it dulled everything together and pushed my ability to to go into that space of awe what you were just talking about yeah it 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 pushed it out of reach and i i, I had to spend some time a couple years coming to terms with that that it was but there's an out and uh, I, I can, I can share with you what the out is. You can get it back. If you have enough empathy to see that experience happen through someone else. I have uh, found that. What do you mean by that? Can you give me an example? Cause I think I know what you mean, but I want to make sure yeah. we clarify. If I were to go right now and fly to someplace in the world, I've never been and explore new foods, new architecture, new settings. It could only, it could only affect me so much, even though I objectively know it would be amazing and incredible. But if I took someone who had never had any of the experiences that I've had and I watched them experience it, then I could get that feeling back again by connecting with them. That's 
we don't necessarily have the ability to do it right now. I mean, we definitely don't have the ability to do it right now because we're in the um, thralls of starting a business. But my partner has traveled relatively little in comparison to me. And everyone's traveled I, relatively little in comparison to you. Well, uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, I, I accept what you have said is truth. Um, oh. But I, I feel like I want to take him to Japan so bad. It's one of the places that he wants most to go. Okay. And it's one of the places that I most want to feel that way again. And I know the only way I can is to, is to take him, watch him experience it. And then like, uh, you know, like a character from a, a science fiction. So absorb the power. Yeah. And that like to get back to that whole, magic thing whether you're seeing that or you're seeing it through the eyes of someone else or i've done this as a parent like i've endured disney world which my children love and my wife really enjoys and i would almost rather do anything anywhere for anyone than that but i love them and the first couple times we went and yes i did go more than twice to do it with girls at the perfect age was amazing. It was amazing. It really was. It was great. There were wonderful memories, right? Now let's go do something real. <laughs> if you asked me that exact question, if you said, would you want to go to Disney World? I've got tickets tomorrow. I've got, I, I've got a plane. You, you won't have to spend any money. All you have to do is, is give your time. Um, I would say no. Correct. I would say no, I, I don't have any desire to do that no. in fact i i think i would rather spend time here planting trees and oh, doing you, hard that labor would be a much on the more farm. enriching experience oh, for you yes yes yeah. but if i had children now i don't but i so i have to imagine yeah if i had children and they asked to go i'd be at that computer so fast trying mm-hmm. to find a way to get to Orlando. And Kevin, that's, and, that's and I'm the glad thing. you said that because that's so true. Like, I want to be the asshole who goes, no, we're not going to go to Epcot because we're really going to go to Canada or we're really going to go to China. But like, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's like a rite of passage, but in a way, isn't it a little bit like adolescent Vegas? Like, shouldn't everybody do it once <laughs> if they can? Well, also, also parenting styles, like what you just described, aren't i mean it's a personal belief they aren't very successful if you are trying to imprint on your children the things that bring you joy rather mm-hmm. than listening to right. your children take in the world i mean even from a very young age kids that are four five and six can tell you what they want to do and what they want to learn and if i were a parent i would be like yes that is what we will do we are going to go uh, find as many different kinds of worms as we can and just stare at them for the rest of the day. And then you can try to keep them as pets. And I will not tell you that that will probably fail and they'll probably die. We will just go through the joy of our worm adventure. And then Whereas when the inevitable- right, I could be like, no, we're going to Japan. It's amazing. <laughs> you haven't, you haven't had Magaro. If you, if you haven't had Magaro right. in Osaka. And so you're going to go. I don't care if you're four. Right. Okay, learn to use your chopsticks. Like, but I, but I, I want to find the worms. I want to find the worms. Oh, uh, I, I think that... We're going to the Golden Temple. 
Okay, so isn't there... I've been having this conversation. I have a family movie club. And I think there might be this mentality a little bit that people have on themselves when they absorb culture. That, like, they view it a little bit. Like, I'm supposed to do this thing, right? Um, if I go to a place, well, I have to go do that. Like, if you go, yeah. to, if you go to Rome, I have to go to the Vatican. Well, you actually don't. You know, I can give you reasons. In fact, I spent a lot of my travel writing doing... Uh, trying to push back against that. I, I, I had a, I had a, um, a strong, I would do all those things. I would do the must do things, but I would never write about them or never, or, or, or try to uh, minimize them. I always tried to find a catch or a click or uh, a hook that was different. Um, well, and, I mean, you're not going to tell anybody anything they don't already have access to knowing about the Vatican or the forum or the Coliseum. Well, right. I, no, I'll tell you the Eiffel. The Eiffel Tower is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. <laughs> just go to Paris. Just go straight to it. I don't know if you know this or not. It. They'll let you go up in it. You can go up. It's amazing. No one will tell never you been, this. Never been up in it. Didn't I never had it. We didn't. We it. didn't even. We didn't even get out. I didn't even think. I didn't even consider it. We didn't even get out of the conveyance at the park. Like we were literally on a on like one of those like hop on hop off buses to get around the city easy. And like we were like we kept driving by it, and we saw it, and we we're like, "What? What else do I need? I know what it looks like. Cool, neat." And and I would, but I would push the catacombs. Go, they the the very first time I was there, they weren't opened. Um, uh, but the I, I spent some time uh, uh, in Paris five or six years ago, and so I got to go for the first time. Oh my god! Just. Uh, you know, especially if you if you have any sort of misgivings about death, or oh god, so I haven't what? done the one I haven't done them in in Paris, but I've been to two different catacombs in uh, around Rome, and like the first of all the the reverence with which those things are kind of put together and the permanence of it is so beautiful. Or like the I'm sure you've been to the Bone Church at Sedlik in the Czech Republic. Yes. You know this one? Yes. Yeah. In fact, that's what I was, I was just going to that. That was going to be my backup to the catacombs in Paris. That's actually a better place to go. So don't, everyone, don't go to Paris. Go straight to the Czech Republic. <laughs> actually, that's excellent <laughs> advice. It, go straight yes, to the Czech Republic is, is excellent advice. Um, I passed Paris altogether. Okay, but let's get back to the to the sharing it through another person's eyes because I, I have an experience like right. this that I, and I'm sure you have 20 of these. So I'm hoping that mine will elicit another from you. The first time I went to I don't Rome, have as many as I want because a lot of the a lot of the travel I did was was by myself and that, well, that and, was unfortunate. And, and I think we should I think we should talk about that too. Um, the first time I went to Rome, I was forty years old. My dad took me like the month after I turned forty. It was my gift. My my dad and I were like best history pals, and uh, he'd never been, and I'd never even been to Europe. I was 40 years old. I'd never been to Europe before. Somehow I'd, I'd traveled fairly extensively throughout the States and spent a bunch of time in Mexico and Canada. Somehow I'd never made it across the Atlantic. We found an unbelievable deal and we went and I got to experience this thing with my dad. And then five years later, when my wife and I had our 20th anniversary, that was a place we could go cheaply. And she was really excited about it. She went to Catholic school. So that had a whole bunch of baggage for her. I got to take her and show her and then experience a couple of things my dad and I didn't do. And I basically got to go to Rome the first time twice by doing it that way. I got to enjoy that amazing place with new eyes. 
both times I went. And now my children want to go. And even though there's a hundred other places I want to go in the world, that's very near the top of my list because it's hard not to want to get that feeling again. That is a great piece of connective tissue uh, that you and I share because my my mother has been on a lot of travel um, because she was more amenable to it. But my dad had been on relatively little and he, by a, by, a, we weren't supposed to, but by a twist of fate, I did get to walk around Rome with my mother and father um, on a, on a cruise from hell where <laughs> they, we, they just, the, the, they just couldn't deal with the, the waves on the ocean. And so they just beached it in Rome and set everyone out. I wow. felt like that. Uh, they, yeah, they, they scheduled the cruise in March in, uh, in the Mediterranean and then figured, uh, they could, uh, uh go seamlessly from place to place and weather. Now, is this one of these, this well, is one of these deals where like, alert, weather was a problem. <laughs> like this is one of these deals where you like, so they start... kept us. Oh, go ahead. No, it's one of these deals where people were pissing in the, you know, those cruises from hell where you can't yeah. get off the boat. People yeah. are, p- are pissing in. <laughs> wasn't that bad, but they, they finally, they canceled the entire itinerary and just said, we're taking you to Rome. And wow. And I, and you're going to love it. Yeah. They had been, they'd been done with us as pastors by that point. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, we, I did get to do that with my dad too. And 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 he loves he he just passed. Um, yeah, I, I still am struggling talking about him in the present and the and the past tense. Uh, of course, you are. He loved. The- yeah, I was gonna say he loved history. He 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 read every book on every era of European history that he could possibly get his hands on. And so, um, watching him see the places that he had read about was really really special. Um, yeah, I have a, I have a photo of my dad from the day that we landed and we went for a walk and we really didn't, this was like 2012. So like I had a cell phone, but like at that time, like international plans were weird. So you weren't using it for navigation. So like we just had a map and like, it's funny, my, and I don't know the exact date, but it's either 13 or 12 was the same time we were there. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, we were there, I think end of June of 2012. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we just had a little map and we're walking around and, you know, uh, for those of you who haven't been to Rome, uh, some of the streets are really long and go in the same direction without making a curve for like two whole blocks. It's unbelievable. And we get down to Santa Maria Maggiore and we turn right and we're just like, hey, we should go find a place to get a beer. And we walked another maybe half a mile and there's nothing down here. And then we turned right and like the Coliseum is just right there. Like just right. Like, and- yeah just takes your breath away the first time you see it and so i have this mm-hmm. picture of my dad where he's literally just turning around and smiling within 60 seconds of having seen this thing and that photo is like that's a sacred object in my house now yeah yeah um yeah there is something about about traveling with people if you have i mean it just goes back to what we were talking about you you, you get you get the excitement back all over again um, through through having someone else experience it in your presence. Yeah, I just had an experience where, and I think you and I talked a little bit before I left, but I went to Morocco a couple months ago with my mom and I was in a really shitty place. And not only the idea of travel woke me up, 
but travel with my mother, like to a, like a crazy, like to say, I went to Marrakesh with my mom is a really amazing sentence to be able yeah. to say out loud to people. Oh, incredible. And, and, and I recommend it to everyone. Uh, go to your mother right now and tell her that it, it, it's going to change both your lives. Do yeah. it. it. It's, if, it's for everyone. If I said to you, find a week and $5,000 and you will change your life. You'd think I was full of shit. And it's absolutely true. Go find somebody you love, take a week, go someplace and don't do anything else, but spend time with them and experience new stuff. Mm -hmm. It will change. Yep. And here's the thing. It doesn't just change your experience with that person. It changes you. It, it changes my outlook on the whole world. When I do it. The entire ethos of my travel writing, if and I repeated this so many times, it became, it became automatic. I would tell everyone that would listen that I wanted Americans to leave America. I wanted them to pick someplace, any place that they needed a passport to go to, go to that place and spend time outside the United States for the um, health of them and the country as a whole. What specifically do you mean about the country as a whole? I think, I mean, I know, but I'd like you to tell our listeners. The amount of um, indoctrination we get as a culture that this is the only place worth being because it is the superior place in the world doesn't have a, maybe in China, but it doesn't have an analog anywhere else. Um, and this isn't just a social media thing or since the internet, this has always been the case. Oh, yeah, American exceptionalism is a longstanding tradition. Yeah. There are lots of problems with American exceptionalism and it's a, it's a larger, it's a larger topic and it's tentacles are in, in more things than just I would say they're in turning everything. off people's desire to right. It is in everything. Uh, and maybe th that is, so what I was trying to do with my Americans leave America strategy was to pierce American exceptionalism. I cannot tell you that um, the cultures and places in the rest of the world have their own amazing quantities that you that you that, that best us they 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 yeah. okay you were talking about japan i'm, I'm, I'm choosing my words carefully i'm choosing no, you're, my words you're fine. carefully i'm gonna i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give an example it's I think, not to offend anyone no, and, I, and because it, i've been accused of america bashing when i get down this uh well this road. and i've and i've been i've been um i've been slandered with the same uh the same uh, slur, whatever you want to call it. I guess my point is that I sort of buy into the first thing I would say is it's a great opportunity for people to understand sometimes simultaneously just how good they have it. That's, mm -hmm. that's one angle, right? So there's a, there's that, like you, you could have been born here in that color in this place with those options mm -hmm. and your life would look very different. It wouldn't matter how hard you worked. Right. Then the other option that I think is maybe even more fundamentally important that Americans see, and that is that by and large in the rest of the industrialized world, infrastructure and transit and opportunity, whether or not you actually engage in that society by using the healthcare system or 
the tax code or get an education. Like you were talking about taking Zach to Japan. Mm-hmm. Put those people put those people on a three hour bullet train and go, okay, yeah. You you yeah. just got from one place to another in less time than it took you to wait for your security check and your connecting flights. And it was it, one third can, the money. Yeah. You can like, write all of the travel articles you want, trying to describe uh, the bullet train, trying to describe the European train network, uh, trying to describe the various subways uh, in the world to people. And, it, and it's never going to hit even even to urban um, individuals in the United States who, who have access to, to public transit. It's just, it just doesn't hit. But when you're on, when you're physically on the bullet train and it's accelerating and you've never been on a, on a train that can go faster than a uh, hundred kilometers an hour. And that little ticker passes a hundred in the first <laughs> 25 seconds. Uh, <laughs> your whole you're like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> the, the, the mad, that experience is what I'm talking about with Americans Leave America, because then it, it, you're like, oh, how, wait a minute, how it, how is this happening? This is cool. How long has this been here? Wait a minute, how much did I pay for this? Right. Uh, you know, ooh, how nice is this? This is this seat is clean. You know, all these wheels start turning. And it's the best, those experiences are the best commercial for fixing the United States. Yeah, because you bring and that home and all of a sudden- it doesn't have to be the bullet train. No, but as a customer, right. you go, why am I not getting that experience? Like, okay, the other example I see internationally yeah. that that I run into, and I you know, maybe travel internationally once a year if I'm fortunate, but still, uh, is we pay so much more for internet and cell phone service than the rest of the world does. And we get a fraction of the, uh, of the bandwidth for the price. Yeah. The first time that somebody uh, in Switzerland um, uh, goes, you know, really up into the mountains to hike uh, in a town that has 50 people that live in it and a lot of sheep and have five bars. (laughs) And then they ask themselves up up at Heidi's granddad's house. Yeah, and this is a true story. Uh, my partner and his cell phone plan, which will not be mentioned, um, we can see two cell phone towers from our farm. Not one, two. We can see them. They're dots, the little red blinking dots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Light up the night sky. Yes, I have one this bar. across the little lake. And, where, his where... Ca- and his calls cut out. And so it goes and it goes example after example that is like that. And, and if, if you're really like, so let's, let's do it in reverse. So you're a European, um, you come to the United States. What are you trying to see? We'll go from um, truly exceptional. And what I've always suggested to them to uh, an absurd comparison I, I tell them rent a car, go to the national parks. That experience, although they are, because the distances are so vast, that experience cannot be replicated in any other one country except maybe China. And you would never be able to to have access to the breadth from one side to the other, up and down, north and south, east, west, without speaking Chinese or getting yourself in trouble. And New Zealand could 
to kind of give a run for your money, but they don't have any deserts or you'd quickly find a long list of, of things they don't have. So it's, it's a only here sort of experience, the national park system. You wanted to visit as many as you could. So I would always tell um, a, a European do that as a way of seeing American exceptionalism. But other than that, when they ask about things that are traditionally associated with travel, infrastructure, food, um, happy people, um, I, you know, you you can come and see us um, and and remark about how things are different and and ask yourselves, "Ooh, I thought it, you know, I thought it would be different. Um, I thought the people would be happier." But there's no tour of the things that do uh, that are exceptional about um, the United States. There, there isn't a tour of the military-industrial complex. <laughs> you, you, you can't come and visit the United States and see the power of the defense budget. No, you can't. That is, is one could. element where we truly are great. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can't see it. Yes. You can't see it, and it doesn't do us any good. But I guess if we're using numbers as the as the rubric, then yes, we're number one. Um, we are, the other that, thing that, that, is, I mean, that is the one thing we are number one at. Uh, well, and, and, uh, you can't visit and, it. and getting less for uh, spending more on healthcare. <laughs> I think we're number one at that too. Pretty well, sure. Well, no, yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure. Pretty sure. We're, we're number one with a bullet, literally. Um, Oh, one of the things, one oh, of the things yeah, that, oh god, yeah, that's another thing I didn't even think about. That you could come and experience th- gun violence. Uh, that, that, oh that's yeah, such a sad I, thing I to recommend to someone. To, uh, I talked to somebody from Canada, and they were saying that they had been made aware that there is now insurance that you can purchase as a traveler from Canada in case you are killed in a shooting in the United States. Someone is offering this as a product. I I feel like that was only a matter of time. I'm sure it seemed like an inevitable thing that would happen. Yeah. And I know that European uh, visitors, anyone exiting the European Union and coming here gets their health insurance situation settled before they before they come here. They yeah. all know that. Yeah. You know, they all know that they're walking into a death trap, literally. And there are and there are many people who just won't work in the States because they don't want to work in that system. They just don't want to they don't want to live here. Um yeah, you know it's interesting. I and I, again, I don't want to sound like we're America bashing, but at the same time, like if you if you say this is the greatest country in the world and this is the only country you've ever been to in the world, it's pretty difficult. You've never left it. Yeah, it's pretty difficult to know whether or not that's bullshit. Um, right, and, and, and it you isn't, have to leave it to to be ha- to to come to some sort of realization on your own. You just can't be told. We're just it's the indoctrination of that from you from a young age. Also, is just too, but I also too love powerful. that what you're saying isn't hey. Go away so you can see how shitty it is. It's bring some of these ideas back so that you can make it better for everybody here. Go away. Learn that there are other ideas and other investments being mm-hmm. made in other places that we're not doing here. And that's what the problem is. Well, I, there's a there's a whole bunch of things that you will see that you wouldn't even expect. Like like you could like the bus. The Who would I would not go to uh, downtown Los Angeles and, and board a bus but I would go to downtown Stockholm and, and board a bus in a second. And the, the bus will have this giant marquee above the bus stop that tells you exactly when the bus is coming, like down to the second. Yeah. 
and, and the there will there will be an app for the 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 Stockholm exactly. City Bus system. There will be an app will... to pay for the whole thing. Yep. I mean, the whole thing is just so simple. Yeah. Clean. You you get on and you're going to see a bunch of people that uh, that are doing what you're doing safely, going from one place to another. And and I would never ever do that in in a, in a downtown city in the United States. I was also thinking about you were talking about all the things that are sort of exceptionally American. And I'm trying to think of different places I would tell people to go that are not the national parks, which I think is absolutely true. Um, but it's interesting how most of the things that first popped to my mind are all kind of related to the immigrant experience or the fact that we are a melting pot. So like one mm-hmm. of the first things I thought about was New Orleans. So what's special about New Orleans is that basically it's not Europe, it's not the South, and it's not really America, but it's all three, right? And you can have a, an experience that's, that is unique to New Orleans and can't be found anywhere else. And then there's more. Yeah. Yeah. And if I thought about it, I mean, New York City qualifies as that as well. And a lot of mm-hmm. uh, Europeans go to New York specifically because even for their cities, it it blows them away. And just it's it's bizarre. It, well, it, the I fact mean, it's... that it functions, that it exists, that it is New York. It's it's just it's one and of say, a kind. Say Las, what Vegas, you will. Las Vegas is another one. Sure. And say what you will, which I've never done, by the way. I uh, I don't have any desire except to basically fulfill that and and have experienced it. And I'm sure I will enjoy it on some level. Um, you will. But, but I want it to be a thing where it's like, oh, I'm driving from somewhere to somewhere and I stop in Vegas for two days. Like I want it to be that kind of thing. I don't want to like go to Vegas for four days and just camp out. If, if a Parisian person asked me, I want to go to one city in uh, the United States to get the best experience of, of just generalized America, where should I go? I'd go go to Denver. Okay. See, I, like, I like Denver. See a, a, a progressive city that is set in a gorgeous backdrop with uh, nature. I mean, depending on the time of year you go, maybe not Denver in the, in the dead of winter, but in, Maybe, uh, but in in spring or fall, just you know, you have access to all of that outdoor. Everything that makes America America. You can go to fast food in Denver. You can go to, uh, um, you can go get a steak. Uh, you, uh, a Western of your torso. bar. Yep. Yeah. Exact. No, the food will come. The plates will come. And and that is one of my favorite things to do is to watch a European get served an American sized plate of food for the very first time. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Just just watching them like a zoo animal. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it's uh, it's always this, how is it's there always not, shocking. Like, okay, how do we how do we not have like a like a Kevin Richburg hot wing style show where you just invite different mm-hmm. Europeans on and you serve them, you know, you're like Because it would be cruel. It would just be me like, gawking at people. Like, Here's the number four from Taco Bell. You have eleven minutes. <laughs> Oh gosh, we're putting pressures on these poor people. No, it's just it's just the moment the plate comes. Oh yeah, they're and, they're overwhelmed. And, you know, their minds are asking, "Am I being? Is do you, you have that? You have that thing punked? Is that me? Is that so? It's what happening to me right now?" I was ama- I was amazed at the size of the portions in Morocco. They were huge. They were massive. Now maybe it was because we were on a tour. They're meant for family style. They're meant for family style. Though, yeah, um, generally. And my and my mom and I. Split or they just saw you everything. coming. No, my mom and I split yeah. everything, yeah. but seriously, like it was like, well, mm-hmm. so much of that shit's buffet, but that's another thing altogether. Um, I, <laughs> I want to kind of get back to this idea of, uh, of sort of chasing the dragon of obsessive curiosity where you were talking, you were sort okay. of likening, likening it to heroin. 
Mm-hmm. How do you think uh, that sort of sensation, like, did you get that moment when you started the idea for the farm? Like when you sort of dove into doing that, was there a different version of that that sort of piqued no. you? Okay. No, so it didn't exactly have the, same, the opposite. It didn't have, it was much more practical. It was uh, permanence. It was the it was the exact opposite okay. of living my life for the accumulation of new experiences and knowledge. Uh, traveling around the world was a lot for me to fill myself with as much as I possibly could, as it was also my profession in trying to convince other people to do the same thing. Uh, that I I was trying to go and put myself in all of these situations so that I could reflect back to people. And I was always speaking to Americans. I, you know, they, like we already talked about, it, it was my mantra. I was trying to beam back information into the United States so that it could be absorbed and that folks could get curious enough to break over the activation energy and get themselves out. And go in some place. Yeah, and it's a lot of that. It's a, myself, and it's a lot of that. Um, I think in many ways you were trying to sort of be kind of a living example, in a way. I don't know if you put that yes. pressure on yourself, but it, it, I mean, it sounds like the way yes. that you were doing this, you were kind of saying, "Look, if I, I'm out here just doing this all the time, you can find the opportunity to do this once a year, once every couple of years." Mm-hmm. Okay, and this was all. And I actually, I actually pitched a show. I pitched, this was back, um, oh gosh, 2015. Um, I I pitched the idea of a show of a television show of me taking an individual from the United States who had never left the country before, uh, interviewing them to find one thing that they were ultra passionate about and taking them to a place where they could experience that. And I, I looked at it from a bunch of different angles. I'll give you one that it is so unlike me and so completely bizarre. If you were a hunting enthusiast and, and, you, and hunting was your passion, guns were your passion, my pitch to, to them was, I'll take you to the outback in Australia where they have such an, a problem of the infestation of invasive species, mammals of all kinds, all the way up to and including camels. Oh my God, I did not know into that. Australia. Yep. Uh, that were released into Australia when uh, smart, but not so smart, explorers thought well we can't go into this this terrain on horseback let's go let's go in with camels that'll be better well the people all died but the camels survived well they were half and right. so they they reproduced and and i will never forget driving the nullarbor which is a thousand kilometers of flat nullarbor means no trees um flat expanse with nothing, literally nothing there. And the signs every so often would be a picture of a camel, a yellow sign with a black camel on it. Watch out for camels because they'll just get in front of your car. And that's, that's it. 
Um, anyways, hearkening back to the, what I, why I started this, you can hunt them. Uh, because they are an invasive organism, uh, you can very easily get a permit, take your gun out into the outback, and shoot them dead. And so, as, a, as opposed wanted... to say going and hunting an endangered species on safari, correct, correct, yeah. a different type. Uh, you can hunt uh, rabbits uh, until you have exterminated them all from uh, the continent. So that. Taking someone who who is very enthusiastic about hunting and giving them a completely different experience based on their passion was sort of what I want to, you know, if you were a cat lady, if you were a cat lady, I, I would take you to South Africa uh, to the rescue sanctuaries where they take in um, uh, the cheetahs whose uh, mothers have been killed and and they they have the, the pups. And so once they hand read the hand, excuse me, rear them and raise them past a certain point, um, you know, there's nowhere for them to go. And it's irresponsible. So these sanctuaries keep them and they become a tourist attraction. Uh, you get to walk and pet the cheetah. And, I, and, a, and a lady who would never leave the United States but loves cats, how could she resist? Right. And I think, and these I think little, some of little it things to... that could open somebody up. Yeah. And I, certainly, uh, economics are a, a big barrier, which I think I think uh, we could do a much better job of just in terms of our policy. Um, there yeah, are don't get me wrong. If you want to go to Australia and hunt a camel, that is not going to be cheap. Right. But but there's also there's also barriers to travel for people because everything is so hyper capitalized in America. It's part of the problem. It's one of the reasons we don't have the infrastructure that we're talking about. You know, I mean, I'm from a place where uh, the largest employer in the state for the last 90 years general motors after world war ii literally paid cities across the country to tear up streetcar lines mm -hmm. paid millions and millions of dollars to go in and rip that stuff out because it meant people were going to have to buy vehicles and they were going to make more money you know and yeah. so it isn't just like hey we don't have this it's undoing a whole bunch of really nefarious shit um so well, i think a lot of the progress in other countries is because they don't they don't have that mechanism the the runaway the runaway capitalism they've capitalism but the the runaway capitalism is is a feature of of the united states the ability of for uh, companies to come in and inject themselves into the history and the future of a populace of people like you just said yeah is a, is an american is an american oh thing. very much and and it's 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 as influential, maybe more influential than even our political power. You know, Coca-Cola and McDonald's and Nike wield far more power than our military industrial complex does. Soft power is so massively influential. You have to go to places like India or a lot of countries in Africa to find that in a different way, to find a, a company that was able to act like a like a nation state. Right, that came in and made made a change either because they were invited in or because of just the power of the product. Uh, India came to mind because uh, uh, Monsanto and I guess it's Bear now um, is is plugged into the the history of of farming yeah. in India. So I, I'm I sort of doing a mild retraction. You can find, but not in our peer, not in our peer nations in in Europe and and, and it's um, also. Even Australia. I think in places like you're talking about in the in the developing world, I think a lot of those places it's 
it's not cultural. They came in and it's basically, it's a different form of colonial. It's exploitive. It's a different form of colonialism really. Um, And, and in America, that's exactly what it is. And we see it somehow as this sort of like financial freedom that somehow by getting squeezed all the time through a series of bad choices, because it's more profitable for somebody to create a problem and then also be the one to solve it. Um, so we wind up having these things where everything's inefficient and more expensive because there's nobody there to regulate it because we're all beholden to, well, the market's going to figure it out. And that just doesn't exist the same way. Worse than that. Worse than that. We're rooting for it. Right. We're, uh, we're, we're told that the growth and the economy and the businesses that are going to come in and pollute the water and destroy the planet and, and, um, spill chemicals down the street from you and burn them off and, your water is going to be on fire. We're told that those were taught again from a very young age. We're taught that those corporations, those companies, they are important to yes. the functioning of America. And they that are, they have, they are important that, to the functioning of you. You are not important. They are important. And that they have your best interest at heart. Don't worry. They're going to take care of you. Yes. Yeah. And it's all a lie. Right. After, after they are done making the economy great, they will use the rest of their time to make sure that whatever it is they're doing to you is not that bad. Well, and I will always use the example of, um, for me, if you want to see a, a cold hard example of the exploitation of a community and what's capable, go to Flint, Michigan. Yeah. Go to Flint, Michigan and see where literally where the union movement in this country truly began in a, in a massive way with the sit down strike in the thirties. And that city through the mid-1980s, had the largest median income of any city in America up until like 1979. And then in the mid-80s, GM left. And that city has been decimated, and the people that can't afford to leave are all broke, and most of them are of color, and they haven't had clean water in nearly a decade. And that is all the result of a company coming in, taking out everything it can, leaving behind a mess, and not having to pay to clean it up. And that's uniquely American. I was thinking of that made me think of a place that I have to make sure. Gosh, this is this is where you've been so many places. It's in Kansas. It's uh, tornado destroyed it. It's Greensburg or Greensboro. Um, oh, I remember this. Oh, yeah, just just leveled the whole town, right? The whole town gone, and it's and it's going to give me Greensburg. Yes. Okay. And if I and I will double check by looking in on there's there's a museum in the central that is yep, there it is. Uh Greensburg, uh Kansas, totally destroyed, totally had to be rebuilt, has an entirely new um economic system that runs it now because they all had to start from scratch. So sister areas in Kansas, towns of the same size, towns of smaller size, where industry has left where the local agriculture for the most part or or some like beef the slaughterhouse left the story is very american the slaughterhouse left and no one had a job anymore and now yeah. we're all poor and everything's terrible and and government is terrible <laughs> <laughs> well the the people in um greensboro had or greensburg had to start all over again from scratch and so they created this amazing place that has thriving uh, businesses of green technology because that's where they put all their lot in. 
Kevin, and I all might the people be, in the I town have be, jobs and make great livings, and it's it's like is this is gets, this the community it, where there's like there's been an immense uh, immigrant influx, and they have like this incredibly diverse population for a city of like. Uh, twelve or fifteen thousand people. For a fact, but it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise There's, me at all. I the reason I ask is I recently heard a podcast piece about it about a city in Kansas that's like this that had mm-hmm. a pretty sizable Muslim population, and it, there was it was a site where a lot of refugees had been sent, and it was the story of this one woman who had moved from Africa, and I'd never heard of this town, and I'm wondering if this is the same city. Sounds it interesting. might not be. There could be. There could easily be another one. Yeah. That, and 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 th- these are not one-offs. These places do exist in the United States sure. for, for one reason or another. That that you know so, they got you got a kooky mayor one day who just said, <laughs> "I've got an idea," and then we're all going to make we're all going to make clay pots. Uh, we've got a special <laughs> kind of soil, and we're all going to make clay pots, and they're going to catch on, and we're going on Etsy, and suddenly ten years later, you're the clay pot capital of wherever that's right and uh, i think and, so and, much and that's it. better than just sitting around going oh then close the slaughterhouse won't the slaughterhouse come back please? <laughs> um and there's you know there's so many there's so many tentacles of that sort of like capitalist exploitation what i think is to kind of bring this back to what started our conversation what i think is beautiful is if you go places you can see where they've found ways to put up guardrails against that. And you can see on the Stockholm bus system, which I've not had the privilege of seeing, but you can see that. Like, it's amazing. Like, I'll give you an example of something where I was like, God damn, we're not in Kansas anymore. Um, we got the, is it the star? Is it the star rail, rail star? What's the, the thing between London and Paris? What's that called? The Eurostar. The Eurostar. Thank you. Um, we got tickets on that on my phone in 2016 for, it was either 28 or $36. I don't remember which, but it was somewhere in there for each of us. It takes less than three hours. And you basically go from Washington to like Raleigh. I think is about the distance you're you're underneath the English channel underneath the fucking English channel. (laughs) Yeah. And it's clean and it's nice and it's comfortable. And like, there's like an entertainment system and like, you just sit there for two and a half hours and you look at the countryside or you look at your phone and then you're there. They take it for granted down. I didn't have to, I didn't have to, I didn't have to dick with the airport. I didn't have to dick. Like my security was like, Hey, put your bag on the thing and walk through. Like that was it. No TSA bullshit. And take off my shoes. You know, um, we got a $79 flight from the Czech Republic to, uh, Budapest when I was there a few years ago, 79 bucks. Can't get a $79 mm-hmm. flight in the United States. I can't fly from Lansing to Chicago for 79 bucks. You can you can go on spirit if you want to be in the nude face down, you know, with someone sitting on you being sold lottery tickets. Yeah. Well, I think they actually I think that's you have to do all that, but it's in the cargo hold for seventy nine dollars. <laughs> and then it's one hundred and twelve dollars if you actually want to, get off. to check in. It's a, you're right. Yeah. You're right. It's one hundred dollars yeah. to check in. Oh, that fucking airline. <laughs> 
We, we don't need now we'll go down the you know what when i see you this it's summer a whole, we'll have, it's a whole other episode we're gonna save one spirit Airlines story for each other for when i see you in july um okay so so talk to me then about your transition out of sort of going all over the place and kind of collecting 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 and then kind of bringing what you needed and okay let me just ask the question did you ever think you were going to come home? No. Okay. Why, why did you think that? No. Because I always believed that, like the universe, I would just keep expanding. And, and that meant I doing more and started here. More? Right. Since I started here, you could never come back here because this is where it started and I would be expanding away from this. And as I got older, as the career wasn't, um, social media was changing and the career wasn't viable. Um, I could have kept going. I could have pivoted. Um, but the answer to, you know, I've done so much and I've seen so much and um, also a little bit of sadness, no, like that. No one is listening to me. Like Americans aren't actually leaving America. Uh, I'm not, this isn't working. The message, the message um, is not getting, <laughs> the message is not getting out. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a great yeah. feeling as a creator, isn't it? It's just, yes. Oh, no, hi, uh, hi. I've spent my whole adult life screaming into the void and saying, Hey, I might right. be onto something yeah. here. And the rest of the universe went, what now? <laughs> so I I looked into the rest of my being to find the other portions of my desires that were real and honest that were going to be able to form a permanent future. And they were wanting to find a life partner, have a family, and create something permanent. And if you had asked me 10 years ago, I would have said that I could do all that and keep doing what I was doing. And the permanence would be the success of me speaking to Americans about travel. The, 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 purpose, so, the purpose was the work. Right. And, the, and because that was, I have always had a very strange relationship with failure. Uh, and it's a lot of a lot of my mental health and mental health challenges have been surrounded by by having by being good at plenty of things, but then failing or fearing that I will fail. Are you a polymath? And so I had to. No. <clears throat> okay. Um, I I had to. Uh, bury and mourn the old career and then decide what was going to what was going to replace it and because i think that i was open to the things that i just spoke about uh having a partner falling in love having a family and finding and developing permanence where i am now on the farm that my part my partner and i have uh purchased a, a 27 acre farm in central New York, 20 minutes from where the, from the house that 
that I was born and raised in. And we are building from what was a blank canvas and an edible forest, pushing the buttons of passions that have always been, I've been a scientist since I went to, to um, college to study science. And I didn't use that very much uh, when I was writing and, and, and taking photographs. Um, I'm much more inundated with the science of plant biology and, and soil science and, and meteorology and all those things that go into having a farm in a, in a changing climate, which is what our farm's focus is, is preserving a, a native biodiversity, a collection of um, crop biodiversity, and um, being an educational hub for plant science, soil science, as the climate changes, and we all have to adjust, you know, eggs being uh, $10 a carton is just the beginning. It, I, yeah. I am sad to well, and, say and that talk about the talk about the things with the domino effect, right? We're talking about all those other yeah. things, whether the, whether they're infrastructure or emotional or historical. Um, this is going to be unlike yeah. anything we've ever seen. I love that analogy. Yeah, I love that analogy. Climate change is is exactly like um, a series of dominoes because the dominoes. This is this is not. Um, uh, people should not blame themselves for uh, uh, settling into a place wherever they live uh, on the continent that, you know, 20 years ago, we bought a house and, and built a life here and the world is changing around us. Um, you, the reason it's going to be painful is because when you were buying that house, you were looking to historical trends, which is how we have developed all of our civilization. We looked yeah. into the past and said, this is how things have worked. So this is how we can predict how they will work in the future. Well, climate change by its very definition is the unpredictability of there being more energy physically in the atmosphere because of greenhouse gases. And yeah. all of that is going to ripple through the established um, living conditions that we have all come to be our historical averages and they're, they're, they're going to be going away. And so the dominoes weren't set up to fall. They're just set up because until we, until we changed the atmosphere as a, as a species, they, it, the, they would have worked. They would have stayed up. Most of the dominoes could have stayed up. Yeah. And, and the, and when you push one over, you, you can't stop that. You can't stop the inertia. Once, once you, once yeah. you set it in, uh, as my granddad used to say, you can't unring the bell. Um, yep. One of the things that I'm really kind of sort of fixated on right now is from a mental health perspective is how to handle all of that stuff, but also handle like um, I'm in a position where as a, as a creator, it's going to affect me directly, but it's going to affect everyone. And I think it's going to happen much quicker than people realize. And that is that, we are going to have industries that are being replaced by AI technology in a matter of months, not years, probably, in all seriousness. I mean, it's a number of years, mm -hmm. less than decades. I mean, for example, I saw a thing the other day where there was a video game designer and there was an art team at a small firm 
and they had a, they had two people six months ago. And this one guy's like, I'm a way better artist than this, this guy that I work with because I care. And now they have this AI technology and this guy can work just as fast as the dude who's a better artist. And because he doesn't care, he doesn't touch it up. He just lets the thing do it. And then he does what's necessary to format it and he moves on. And so it's just, it's an assembly line thing. There's no longer any creativity or craft to it. It's just take the thing, make the thing. And so what's going to happen is that's just going to get easier and easier and easier. And we're going to have fewer and fewer jobs that people can do. And so and, we're going to have, and, and, we're basically going to get squeezed from both ends. So we're going to have this economic shift that's massive and this well, climate uh, shift that's massive. I mean, and like, it could be catastrophic and I don't want to get like dark about it, but like from, from, from a, from a well, mental I mean, health, from a mental health perspective, it's, it's hard to sort of try to like be prepared for that, but also like not make yourself crazy. One of the questions I would absolutely love to ask the proponents of all of this technology, I would in fact go back in time and ask it to the people that were pushing the internet in the nineties, how wonderful the internet was going to be. And I would, the question is which science fiction writer who wrote about the technology that you are proposing now where it ended well <laughs> are you are you referencing yeah as your lodestar as you move forward and i understand it's a trick question they all yes. end in dystopia they all end in dystopia which which is kind of interesting because does that beg the question, is this just the dystopia that we've accepted? Uh, no, it, it, it begs the question, is you, the creators, and... Uh, and uh, oh, no, 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 let me back up, People responsible Kevin. for hyping, not you, but the people responsible for hyping AI. Yeah. You believe the story that you are writing right now as human beings predicting the future is the real one as opposed to all of the authors and individuals who have thought about this in the abstract and use their creative powers to put a story out there. And they all came to the conclusion that it went poorly, but you are certain it's going to be great. No, I'm not certain of anything. No, not you, the general you. The oh, people yeah, who yeah, are, yeah. Are, are, yeah. are pushing AI right now. Because right. I mean, because I can't swing a dead uh, cat without hitting uh, an oh. AI is going to be amazing um, uh, article. And and because something, something new has to be amazing. Social because, media. Yes. Right. Oh, no. Yeah. Has to be yeah. amazing. Do you know why? You're removed from social media and social media didn't go, didn't go like they right. thought it was going to go. Right. Right. We've learned a lot of really awful negative lessons about human behavior. Yeah. 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 Um, and and Grandpa Toby did not have to turn into an, an evil, evil person online. You well, know, that didn't have to happen. Yeah. I mean, and uh for anybody who hasn't listened to it, you should go listen to a podcast done by the New York Times called The Rabbit Hole. That's I think beautiful exploration of how quickly somebody can be rad radicalized by something that is seemingly incapable of doing that. And they're just story after story after story. And it's amazing how an algorithm on something like YouTube creates that and doesn't even mean to. And like, I didn't mean to go down 
Oh God, what a bad joke. Down well, there. Let's connect it to what you said about AI. Right. Uh, our entire evolutionary process as a species has been fused with social interaction and that social interaction was face to face and that's how we evolved and that is how we are imprinted in our brains with the ability to form a collective larger than ourselves to become the dominant species it's we are talking about millions of years of evolution human interaction yes yes, yes. millions and, of years and and what you're saying is and i think it's beautiful you're saying that evolutionary strand is already being made threadbare by a thing that's 20 years old we're short circuited we've we've completely yeah. introduced a a for, a way of communicating that is incompatible with our evolutionary biology and that's not to say that it doesn't work or that people, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that the, the internet destroyed everything. I'm saying the internet unleashed a wave of unintended consequences that uh, we are not even anywhere near being honest about or no. examining, studying, or coming to terms with. And mental mm-hmm. health is at the top of that list. Oh, I think, uh, you know, I wish I could remember the the study, but it's that um study that came out a couple of months ago about like the frighteningly low percentage of young girls that considered themselves happy like it was less than 20 percent like teen girls when asked if they were happy like 78 percent of them answered some version of no like it was terrifying as a parent as a community person it just it was awful and like you can't and i would think- make a bet right now i would make a bet right now that if you went to an isolated um area in Namibia to a to a, a a town where they don't even have they've got a, a phone and a, a few computers and no one has social media and you ask the girls at the same age are you happy and you're going to get a universal 100% yes from every single yeah. one of them it's a little bit like I wish I could remember which book it was but it was it was about the the power of small change uh over sort of a sustained period of time of you know a few months and it was different test cases of how you could do this and one of them was they took a bunch of people who were either diabetic or pre-diabetic in the states and then they they essentially put them in an environment where they lived like aboriginal people in australia and so it was all food that had been gathered so it was all fruit and vegetables and they had to walk X amount to collect this stuff. And they set this whole thing up and these people over the course of like six months lost massive amounts of weight, their mental health improved. Um, they in, in all cases improved their, their blood sugar and like all, but like two of them had no signs of diabetic situations at all because these but were They didn't all- do this in a vacuum alone. They did it as a collect. They did it together. They were with other people. Yeah, they were, were with doing other the people. Same it was a whole, they were doing. Yes, yeah. yes. It was a group of like it was a group of like sixteen or eighteen test subjects, and the idea mm-hmm. was that everything in their lives improved: their mental health, their physical health, their their blood tests. Everything improved. And we're not talking about like go and live a completely different way forever. We're talking about small little changes if those people did those things in their life if they ate a little better if they had more time to be outside if they could walk those kinds of things part of it is it goes back to this hyper capitalization thing like we are not supposed to have free time that is a that is a lost construct we don't get to have that anymore 
we get to have time that we decide what we're going to do with, but it feels like everybody's kind of, I feel like everybody I know is overscheduled and overstimulated and just completely missing out on all the good stuff because they've prioritized it wrong. One of the greatest lies about the past (laughs) and our, our ancestors from ages ago, back in Africa, 50,000 years ago, one of the, one of the, dumbest things that is is easily disprovable by social scientists and uh and archaeologists is that these people lived horrible lives that they were constantly besieged by the elements just having to collect food would have taken them 23 out of the 24 hours of the day and you'll often the word miserable is always attached to them they were always oh, miserable yeah. these poor these poor people the the reality if you adjust for what the area they would have lived in would have been like, what the carrying capacity was for people and other animals and the the, the food bounty of, of plants alone, forget the animals, there would have been tons more animals, but the plants alone, it turns out they would have spent about two hours every day going to get more food than they could possibly eat because there was no, you know, so it was, yeah, you had to get it because it was going to go bad. Right. Um, but you spent your two hours doing that, and then you spent your 10 hours on social, what we would consider fun time activities. And then the light went out, and you went to bed. And then you yeah. got up the next day and did the same thing over again. And if they did not have happiness, we would not have happiness. So I guarantee you they were happy. And I also think what's fascinating about that is that they would have done all of those things and those days would have changed with the sun. So if they lived in sub-Saharan Africa, those days would all be relatively of similar length. But if they Mm -hmm. lived in central Scandinavia, you know, they would have very, very short days in the winter if they had light at all. And then they would have almost perennial light in summer and they, and their behavior would, would adjust accordingly. And they would have been thrilled because it would have been something different. Yeah. And so there really would have been that true seasonality to it. It isn't just, oh, they changed the flavors at Starbucks and now everything's in orange and red, right? Like it's actually like there's actually a change. Like we've harvested. Now we're going to store these things and there's a process. It was just – I've been reading this book called 4,000 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. It's like a time management thing. And one of the things he talks about is a friend of his goes and lives in like northwestern Canada, like off the grid – totally off the land, nothing. She has a kid who's like seven and her husband. And so he, he, uh, he wrote her and uh, asked her a bunch of questions. And one of the questions he asked was, how long does it take you in the morning to get coffee? And she's like, I don't know. It takes as long as it takes. And he's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, she's like, well, I, um, I, have to, uh, I have to go get the water. But first, I have to start the fire, and I have to do everything in a particular order. And there was this whole dance that she had to do because that, that's how nature works. And so there was this time to, like, start the fire, but she can't walk away too long or it'll go out. And if it goes out, they'll all die, you know? And so, in essence, what it did was it really distilled this woman's priorities. And it made her go, okay, these are necessities. All these other things that I think are necessities are luxuries that I have taught myself into believing I have to have. And they're, not, they're right. just obligations at a certain point. And and tying it back to to how people lived before modern anything, the priorities in the rest of that time were all social. They were all 
the interactivity of the people in your tribe and your community. And we can only guess at what they would have done. They probably did the exact same things that people do at summer camp or any sort of group of people where folks are having fun in a mildly structured way. Yeah. And by structure, I mean, don't wander away from the group or a line will get you. Right. And that's, and that's the other thing. Some of that, some of that community thing is just simply a a survival thing. And we've lost that because we don't, most of us don't need other people to like literally make it from tonight to tomorrow. But in the case that you're describing, you've, you know, you've got this group of people and they have to look after each other. It really is that idea of it takes a village to raise a child. And looking after each other would have been integral to their very existence and 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 to their mental health to, and to their joy, the the, the caring. Uh, like I said, we're happy because they were happy. We care and we have empathy. We can um, read and reach out to people, uh, read people, reach out to them and understand them, help them. We can do that because they could do that. Don't you think that that is a reason to have a lot of hope then that we can get that back? That if it was there innately, that we can somehow recover it, that at least that's possible? I think that if you were to take everything that we've learned about social science and evolutionary biology and the, and the pitfalls of modern civilization, and you began a community, it sounds like I'm describing an M. Night Shyamalan plot, it can't possibly end as hopefully as, as that would if hopefully is a way. Right. Anyway, it's not, but we're, we're, we're it, but, but true. <laughs> run, run with it. Kevin. Uh, Just go. I am running with it. As hokey as this idea sounds to, to try to make a educated populace to make choices about their own health based on what we know works and doesn't work while being brutally honest. Yeah, being objective, truly being honest, genuinely objective. Being yeah. objective, being genuinely objective. And, and then, yes, you could have, uh, I, would be, I would be hopeful that those people raised in that environment with that knowledge would make different choices that would bring them further out of alignment with how most Americans live now. I, uh, and that seems like, I mean, if nothing else- It would else, be good for them, but- could on a, on a scale of a country with 330 million people right um uh, with, sadly with, with zero incentive the, to do any of this right like there's no there's no monetary incentive to do this there's going to be no public push to do this most people won't have the self-awareness to do this all we can really do is go all no, right the, how can the incentive i remove is myself a superior, it's a superior health and and mental uh, uh a superior life, a happier life. Yes. Um, for for individuals, or you know, for parents, it would be I want my child to have a, a better life than I did. Yeah. Um, th- that that's where you would have to draw the 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 desire and the impetus from. So, really, what you're saying and, is the faith comes from from believing that most folks who reproduce share that philosophy which is sometimes hard to believe, but I want to believe it's true. I think they, yeah, I, 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 I do believe that that's true. I, I no, think I do believe it's true. I just, that they're... part of the American story is actually real. When people say that most parents um, draw uh, happiness from 
the fulfillment of their children exceeding them. It's a minority of individuals who are cruel to their children and and want to see them suffer the same way that they did. Sure. Um, So to kind of, to kind of take things back to the beginning, if you were going to give me say one surprise place that people would be shocked to know that they could go to in 2023 that might open their eyes to a new world that might be a second tier place they hadn't considered before. I know that's a loaded question, but I'll give you time. Knowing I want to get this. Okay. So what I would say is uh, take the sort of the big, uh, like sort of the, like, like take, you know, the pyramids and, most of the now stuff my go to my go to place my go to place was uh was turkey and uh it it, uh, it, it politically it, it, it's it oh god and and it's my brain stopped me from saying it and then i tried to search for another place well, let's just no let's talk that, about turkey because my parents went there 10 or 11 years ago and absolutely fell in love with it went on a tour got a deal it, didn't know anything yeah. and just absolutely were just they were smitten with it my mom especially so what was your experience like and you what, what what would Americans you could get navigate that- Yeah, there's two ways that you could do Turkey and really just blow your mind away. Uh you could just go to Istanbul and spend a week doing everything that there is to do in the city and having all the experiences there. Uh it can push just about every single one of your buttons if if you are a type of person who enjoys things like food or history or just sitting in beautiful places and looking around. The architecture uh, looks amazing. I mean, it just oh god, the architecture. Um, my oh. my mom said shopping, shopping. If you're a shopper, oh. you, could, you could lose yourself in the Grand Bazaar. You won't be able to bring back everything you purchase. Yeah. Uh, my mom said that Turkey the uh, is... the Hagia Sophia was just. She said it was just incredible. I would go. You could get me to drop everything and go there tomorrow without hesitation. Whereas I wouldn't set foot in Disney world. Right. Uh, but also Turkey is accessible. Um, a, a lot of the really amazing things that you can see there are accessible by your own rental car. You could rent a car. And if mm-hmm. you were willing to drive the distances that are comparable to driving interstate in the United States, they're, they're far. And there are, there are tours you can get where you can be with a group of 20 or 30 people and they'll you take can, you from place to place. I wouldn't recommend that. Okay. I, if you were adventurous enough to leave Istanbul, I would say, and you really wanted the experience that was gonna that was going to stay with you forever, I would say, um, use modern technology, use the fact that you have GPS, and drive yourself from place to place to place, going through the ancient world, and 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 even if the ancient world doesn't doesn't really float your boat, there are some physical places in like Ken Cappadocia yeah. you, you won't see anything like that anywhere in the world that you you think that you're in some sort of that you literally are in a science fiction um place go during the balloon festival forget it your your <laughs> your just whole being will explode I I do um, think it's funny too how yes turkey turkey final every, answer every time no I love it I think it's great it 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 just it solidifies that I need to go um one of the things that I that I love about having these conversations with people when they do sort of take the leap and do this, whether it's on an organized tour, if that's a good way for them to kind of get their foot in the water, 
or they just dive in and do it is invariably, I think it almost always costs them less money in the end than they thought it was gonna. It's always easier to to the, if they, if they open themselves to the idea that it can. Yes. 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 You know, but people look at that and they go, well, I can't do that. I don't have $10,000. Do you have 1800? Cause we can probably find a way to make this work. $10,000, you're not buying property in Turkey. You're, no you're just going That's what I'm to saying. see like, it. Like, I think people have this idea that like, it's, you know, it's, you know, and the other thing is like, you can go a lot of places where if budget's a concern, go to Prague, go to the Czech Republic where they don't use the Euro. Well, maybe they do now, four or five years ago, they didn't. And everything, like I could get a world-class 26 ounce beer for like $1.25 in downtown Prague in a major European city, like on a, on a square. It's ridiculous. There's a lot of places that have economies where, where the dollar can just go so much farther than people realize. And options are the only thing that is preventing people from understanding it doesn't cost, uh, you know, their whole life savings to be able to travel is, uh, you know, everything from Airbnb blew open the ability to, to stay someplace without paying a yeah. hospitality gatekeeper all your money. Yeah. Um, flights are are just a function of is the airport where you need to go a hub or in some uh, you know f- foreign airlines back pocket. People people think to themselves, uh, I refuse to be on a United flight for any longer than uh, six hours, and I say yes, so do I. That's why every airline that is not flagged in the United States is infinitely better than all the ones we have here. Yeah. Shout out to Laotian Airlines. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I would take a Laotian Airlines flight before I would ever take a small Delta flight or United (laughs) flight somewhere. That's just another thing that people Um, don't realize. (laughs) uh, uh, It's, it's, it, it truly is. It, even if you traveled a lot, and I certainly have not traveled like you have, but even if you've traveled a fair amount, it takes a long time before you start not being surprised. It takes a long, long time. It had to take you a long time to get to the point where you're like, I've seen it and done it all. I would still, I I still could get surprised. I just, the excitement level associated with that surprise was dulled, but yeah, things could definitely be still like, well, this is a one-off. This is a one of a kind. Yeah. Um, but I, I think would, that, I, I'd always compare everything to home. I would always compare everything back to the States. Oh, sure. I do think kind of, if I was going to leave it in a spot, I think maybe the best lesson I've learned about traveling, maybe that even applies to life is like, some of it's just have like an improv mindset, like yes. And like, if you're going to go absolutely. to that place, oh, throw, absolutely. throw yourself into it, do the thing. And I, when I went to Morocco, I saw these other people doing that and what it made me sad about was that i knew that they were going home and not doing that in their day-to-day lives and i I don't know why i wish they wouldn't cheat themselves of that i wish we Mm -hmm. would all kind of live with that intention and that that deliberation i mean i don't know that there's there's necessarily a better way to kind of sum up what you're trying to do at the farm what you're trying to do is do something fundamentally important that lasts that, that that's meaningful because you're throwing yourself into every day and thinking about why that matters, as opposed to, I'm just going to go to this job and just, you know, clock watch or whatever. 
And we're not, and, and the key to it, and this is a good, a good place to end on, is that we're not going to keep any of this to ourselves. Everything that we learn, everything that we grow, everything that we can make, everything that we can show people, everything that we can teach people is going to be accessible in one form or another once we eventually make the permanent Slate Hill Edible Forest. It will be as much or more of a, of a location for knowledge and teaching and education as it will be for food. It will be a true community. Yeah. Thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it, Kevin. This was great. You're very welcome. I had a great time. Told you he was brilliant. Brilliant, funny, passionate, hilarious, awesome. Kevin Richberg. Please make sure you go find out what he's doing over at Slate Hill Edible Forest. Dot com. Uh, it's an amazing place. You can book a consultation. Uh, you can learn more about Kevin over at my friend Pete Dominic's show, Stand Up with Pete Dominic. And uh, they're going to have a regular thing going on uh, throughout the summer where they're going to be working with listeners to help with garden tips and different ideas. So if you're into any of that and you enjoyed Kevin, make sure you go over and check out Pete's show. Kevin's going to be a regular contributor throughout the growing season. And uh, be sure to go over to whatamimaking.substack.com. Take a look at everything I have already done and am continuing to do. If there's stuff you want to see me cover, ideas you want to hear me talk about, or people you think I should have conversations with, I would love to know about it. Please let me know. Get a hold of me over at whatamimaking.substack.com. Send me ideas, send me notes, send me comments, send me criticism, send me encouragement. Send me subscriptions. I'd love to have it. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for waiting a day for this to come out. I appreciate all of you so very much, and I'll see you next time. Cheers. Okay.